that are very, very important, um, adding to what Andy's just shared. On Wednesday, we have the funeral celebration of uh, Vera Crabtree, and Keith and Angela are here today. And um, they would welcome anybody who would like to be part of that. 12.45 here, and uh, Phil will be leading that through. And unfortunately, I've already, already sent my apologies due to the fact that um, I'll be at number 10. And just to be clear, I did actually, Keith and Angela can verify this, asked if I could be released, because if they hadn't have released me, I would have said no to number 10, and, um, because that was important. But they were quite glad to release me to it and said that I think Vera would take great delight in uh, one of the pastors, uh, potentially at number 10. So anyway, it's an important day for them as well. So please pray for them. And uh, if anybody can be here just for an hour, then that would be absolutely wonderful. It is a very big week because also on Tuesday, we have uh, BBC coming down to film at the Arena Community Hub as well. So please pray for that. We've got the guys from the Inside Out program who are going to be wanting to make a little bit of a mini documentary about what's happening down there and the impact that we're making and also the whole issue and debate regarding food banks. So please pray for Lisa and the team who will be uh, filming and recording. And some of you are already uh, making sure that you've been down the gym to look a little bit slimmer <laughs> and uh, you've, made, you've booked yourself in for the hairdressers. I'm not talking about me now. I'm not there on Tuesday to fix your hair. You'll look beautiful, ladies. Guys, you'll look as you are. And... Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll show ourselves to be, to be good. It's great how the Lord's opening these things up, though, you know, for us. I mean, Phil's already alluded to it. We haven't gone running after these things. The Lord just keeps opening these things up for us. And um, if I can just say on a personal note, I mean, regarding number 10, and, uh, and I don't know how that's going to all work out and what it, what it really means, but I, I reflected with Caroline. There was a couple of, of... It's interesting how the Lord can speak to you at times. I remember as a 16-year-old... A prophetic word come into my life. You have to understand at 16, all I was interested in was girls and chasing them. I'm being honest. And football. And uh, I just got a job. And there was a heart for God. There was no doubt about that. But you know, it probably came in that order, actually. Uh, and I remember a prophetic word from a, from a man who, uh, by the name of David Sherman who picked me out of a, of a crowd. I think Julie was, was, was at that meeting. Shows how long we go back, way before marriage connections and, and whatever. And uh, that, that word, just, and I thought, well, I don't know what that's going to mean. And it was about meeting important people in my life. And I thought, well, I'm a little lad from Mansfield. And I have to be honest, that's how I, I often see myself. And of course, Steve Holmes is here, and he's been down to number 10 before. But I would never have thought that that would have been my journey. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, I don't know when it was, it was certainly, I think it probably over a year ago, I remember Phil giving me a word, I've held in my heart again, Phil, around the fact that I was like the um, Philip with the eunuch in, in the book of Acts, where he's at the side, running at the side of the chariot, this important man. And he said to me, I remember Phil saying to me, he says, you've been walking at the side of these important people, but what happened to Philip is going to happen to you, they're going to invite you into the chariot. And I just held those in my heart because you have to understand, you've heard me saying, it's not, it's not me putting myself down. I'm not, I'm not daft, but I'm not the sharpest, you know, in terms of degree standards or, and that's how I see myself. And yet, you know, I just get a sense that the Lord is wanting to open up 
doors, not just for myself, but for this church and for other people in this church. And it's great, isn't it? So we give God thanks and praise uh, for that. Just again, adding on to, to Andy, and he did so well with the notices, but you know these invites, get them pinned on a doctor's surgery nearby. Just take a few and pin some on the doctor. Get them, you know, where there's a pin board at school or whatever, just get them everywhere. Andy's right, we don't want them at the end of the, of the Christmas. They're useless. They're, what, well, they're not, actually, because they're scrap paper. Anne's very diligent, and she makes sure there's scrap paper in the office. But what's the point of that? Let's get them everywhere. Let's get rid of them. Are you hearing me? Let's get rid of them, and let's get inviting, and let's be intentional about inviting people. Right, I've got just, you know, tw- 27, 28 minutes this morning, and that's all I want to be. Uh, that's all I actually need this morning, because... Um, we, we, we completed our, our series called God First, and this Sunday and next Sunday, we just wanted to connect the whole theme of Christmas. Phil is going to specifically be preaching into the Advent season. But this morning, what I wanted to do was just talk about love. Julie, on I think it was the 21st of September in Mansfield, brought a message of love, and it's a great message. If you've not heard it, please go on the podcast. Um, but I just felt very, very compelled to just try and connect Christmas... Um, with us a little bit more than just Santa Claus and presents and Christmas meals and all those kinds of things which are, which are wonderful, but just begin to speak in this whole subject just for a few minutes around love. People often ask me in our community um, why we do what we do. And I think that's a great question. Because some people do what they do because they are motivated by guilt. So people do good things because they're motivated by a sense of guilt. I have a lot, you have very little, so I'm guilty, so I'm going to, you know, these poor people, and I'm just going to give a little bit towards them. I want to say that is not why we do what we do. We're not motivated by guilt. I don't feel in the slightest guilty that you guys are enjoying the blessing of God and other people don't. You have to hear out because there's a lot of reasons why. You know, because otherwise you could beat yourself up and drive yourself into such a small, you know, insignificant kind of uh, object as we, we look at the, the news, for example, things that are happening across the world. So as we look at Africa, you know, if we're not careful, we become incredibly guilty and that is not God's intention. We, 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 we're motivated by something greater than guilt. I also want to say why we do what we do is not because we want to be do-gooders. I don't want to be known as a do-gooder. Jesus wasn't known as a do-gooder. He did good to all, but he wasn't a do-gooder. Do-gooders, I'll just say it, are often nosy parkers. They're poking the nose in other people's business. Have you ever come across people like that? And they mean well, I know they mean well, but it's do-gooding. We're not motivated by guilt or do-gooding, but we're motivated by love. We're motivated by love. So when people ask me that question, it's a great conversation starter because I'm able to say to them, you know, I'm not motivated from here and what we're trying to do within the community. We're not motivated by guilt and we're not trying to be do-gooders. We're actually motivated by a deep love for our community. We are here to love and serve our community. Does anybody, has anybody ever heard that before? We are here to love and serve our community. And yet when I look into the world... I see so much anger. I see so much hatred. I see so much stuff that really, really affects my heart. I mean, you can't switch on the news and not be affected by what is happening in the Middle East and what is happening in Syria and Iraq. It's awful. 
Killings, murders, race hate, violence, power struggles, and so much more. I get deeply affected by those things. To the point, actually, where I don't even feel that I can watch the news. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? It just so grieves me when I see those things. And yet I look at my life and I think, I've never murdered anybody and I'd never do that. And yet there's been something deep inside of me that Jesus says, if you've had anger, it's almost like you've murdered somebody. This is where I want to drive it down to. Because there's been many times in my life, listen to me, when I have been so angry. There have been so many times in my life when I've been so angry and so full of bitterness and so hurtful and wanting to hurt somebody. I'm sorry to, to announce that to you, that you may think that, you know, I'm this godly Christian sort of, and I am that, but I'm just being honest with you. There's been times in my life when literally, if I'd have had the courage, I would have done something, because there's been something so built inside of me. And you see, hate is so easy. Hate is so easy. Love is so hard. That is why people choose hate over love every time. Bitterness and anger are a scary potion. Someone once said this. This is what bitterness does. It's like taking a bottle of poison, swallowing it, and then waiting for the other person to die. And yet we've all done it. Anger and bitterness, this is medically proven. I just looked at it produce chemicals in our glands that flow through our bodies. They affect the stomach. That's why doctors will often say to you, those who have stomach complaints, are you stressed? Are you worked up? Is there something? Because there's chemicals that flow through. Okay? They will affect our hearts. That's why there's a lot of, I'm not saying every time, because I know there's people here about heart attacks, but they will affect, there's, there's nurses nodding their heads. There's people who are angry, they're bitter, and they have heart attacks. Because there's a chemical that flows. And it affects, throws, flows through our glands. It affects our stomach. It affects our hearts. And ultimately affects our whole being. Bitterness and anger never pay even if you feel justified. Are you hearing me? Those things never, ever pay. And I really believe that this morning my task is just to present a different way. It's called the love way. It's a way of love. It's a hard path. It's a hard road. But it's the way of God. It's the way that's right. It's the way that will ultimately lead to freeing your heart and freeing your life. It's the way of love. But you have a choice today, and we have a choice today. Are we going to choose hatred and anger? Hatred may be too strong a word for some of you, but you get angry. Or are you going to choose the way of love? Because the way of love is a better way. I want to just share something. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn with me to Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 22. He says there, Paul gives a list of all the things that are horrible in the first few verses leading up to this. And there are some characteristics that we can see in the world. Then he says, the great but. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
He also then goes on to say, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But actually, the first one I want to talk about, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. I wonder if we could then turn over in your pages, because we'll look at these texts for a few moments. In 1 John 4, verse 8, and it says there, whoever does not know love does not know God. Because God is, I want us to repeat, read that together if we can, on the screens. After three, one, two, three. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, if love is not in you, you don't know God. If love is not in you, you do not know God. Don't have a problem with me. That's the Bible. Because God is love. If you know God, you've been touched by love. And God is wanting us to choose this better way. He's wanting us to enter into his love. As we enter into a friendship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we receive this love. As we develop our prayer life, as we develop a friendship with God, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. As we spend time every day in God's presence, we will become more loving. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is true. There have been many songs that have been sung about love. Love is all you need. It's true. The point is, many of the pop stars of the day and those who have written great lyrics, I've seen love as sex, and they're completely different things. Or love as passion in that kind of sense. The complete, what we do need is love. But we need God's love in the world. What will change this world? God's love. Nothing more, nothing less. And this is a challenge to me, because I am at this point wanting to As I approach this Christmas season, my prayer is that God would make me more loving. That God would make me more loving to my wife and my children. That God would make me more loving to you. That God would make me more loving to those who are spiteful to me and those who mock me and those who hate me. That God would just pour more of his love into my life. And this would be the greatest gift that God could give any one of us at this Christmas time. More of God's love. So his love is in us and his love then flows out of us. This is the message of the gospel. God came into the world not out of pity, not out of guilt, not out of do-gooding. God came into the world out of his love. The reality is he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. You may be here this morning and say, well, I'm not even sure I believe in God. I want to tell you there is a God who's seated over the heavens. And he is utterly in control of everything that's going off. And actually, he doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. But he chooses to love me and love you just as we are. That is the message of the gospel. I ask for the cross to be here. We've used this for a couple of years now, and I trust that we'll have it over the Christmas season. I remember we put this building up, and some people said to us, you know, there's no crosses in the building. I remember Eric's comment, well, look at the first aid box. It was quite <laughs> hilarious. It was quite funny. Typical Eric. God bless him. 
We have a cross here. It wasn't a cross like Jesus would have hung on, but it signifies something. And I want you to get this visual aid in your mind. This is all I've done it for, so thank you for those who brought the prop. Because this cross speaks of love. It speaks of love. It's got love written all over it. His love towards you and me. Let's be honest now. How many of you are deserving of God's love? Not one hand is lifted. How many of us need God's love? Now the hands are up. None of us are deserving of it, and yet we so need God's love. And God demonstrated his love to us, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God didn't just speak about love. It is true, talk is cheap, isn't it? You ladies know that, don't you, more than, more than anybody else. You want to be shown love. Hello? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You want to be loved. You want to be wined. Well, not all of you want to be dined. And, but you just want to show love. Talk is so cheap. And it's true even in the gospel. Because God didn't just say, I love you, and then leave us alone. He sent Jesus into the world to die upon a cross. For you and for me. Some of you may see this message that I'm speaking about this morning as weak and pathetic. I've heard it said about this love, it's a bit feminine. It's a bit pathetic. Blokes won't really get it. Blokes aren't into that kind of stuff. I understand that. But I heard this great quote by C.S. Lewis, the creator of the Narnia trilogy books. Anybody ever heard of C.S. Lewis or Narnia? Wonderful writer. He said this, and I hope you get it because I quoted it with Julie. And Julie says, I need a moment to just think about this. But love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. Love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. You see, some people wrap this love in a mamby-pamby kind of way. God's love is this mamby-pamby kind of pitiful, take pity, feminine kind of love. And yet it's something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. God's love. Sorry I'm so passionate about it, but this love is so gritty. Oh my goodness. My God, it cost him everything. Cost God everything. It's gritty. It's masculine. When Jesus hung upon a cross, it wasn't some weak, wishy-washy kind of kindness But it was full of grit and resolve. This love was full of strength and determination. When he sent his son into the world to hang upon a cross. I want to tell you this love that God expresses to you. The Bible describes it because how it's written in terms of the language it was written. It's called agape. Agape love. Don't get work, you know, hung up on that. Let me just tell you, tell you what that means. As I delved into it a little bit more as I was preparing this week, this agape love that God is wanting to express to the listener here today is a supernatural love that exceeds human capacities. You don't have the capacity to love. And this is the point. God expressed his love far above Far exceeding human capacities. Because how many of you know, it's easy to love those who are lovely. It's easy to love your kids. 
even though you might, they might come out and they might be as ugly as anything. I mean, let's be honest now, they're all squashed and, and everything else. And We didn't have that problem, actually, because Caroline's so wonderful. But um, <laughs> if it had been me, then that's another journey altogether. But these little babies that come out, how many parents, I mean, in this world it's even, but here, the majority, 99% of those will just love that baby. It's easy to love something that's lovely. It's easy to love a loving husband or a loving wife. But what about those people who aren't particularly lovely? What about those people who are horrible? What about those people who say things about us? What about those kinds of people? And that's the point. And when you look at God, you say, yeah, I understand. But God could have looked down on us. It's perfect creation. And we messed it up. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. Don't all sit there all pompous as though I've never done anything wrong. We've all messed up. We're all a bunch of sinners. We've all messed up and got it wrong. Every one of us. Whether you feel like, oh, oh, I'm a better sort of sinner because I've never... I often say you can be seated next to all kinds of people in Arena Church, people who've been in prison, people who've been hooked on drugs, people who've done all kinds of things wrong, and then you're next to sort of good people. But we're all, none of us are good. We're all bad. And God could have easily looked down and thought, you know what? They're unlovely. I'm not going to love them. But his agape love exceeds human capacities. It's a supernatural love. Let me just express that a little bit more. This agape love loves others for their sakes. And it makes no distinction between friend and enemy. It's directed towards both. God didn't just talk about love. But he revealed his love. At this Christmas time, you're going to send cards, many of you, and there'll be Christmas cuddles, as I call them. Picture postcard kind of scenes. But most of you know that this point where Jesus, God entered the world, was vulnerable. It was dark. It was cold. It was vulnerable for mom and for Joseph. You know, two young people. And then they're having to go on the run because they know that somebody's trying to kill them. I mean, just I'd encourage you to just read your Bible. Take one of the Gospels, Matthew preferably, and just read it through. Just see the, the position where it was. It wasn't this picture postcard kind of perfect thing. It was God again expressing his love. And then I look at the Easter massacre. I don't think that will go down in most churches because what we want is Easter eggs and Easter bunnies. But I see the Easter massacre. It's full of blood, guts, whippings, riots. Again, please, let's read the Bible. That's what it was. What I'm trying to express to you is this gritty kind of love. That God expressed to us. He came. He took the humiliation, the pain, the anguish, the abuse. His love was revealed. And he paid the price for your sin and for my sin. Every sin that you've ever committed and ever, ever will commit was hung upon the cross. He became sin. He became sin. He became your sin. So we could have Free access to God. He bridged the gap. He paved the way. He made a way. And it was a different way. It was a way of love. Do you not think that Jesus 
could have easily have wanted to slap those people who were hitting him, who were criticizing him. He was fully man. He could have chose the way of bitterness and hatred. But he chose the way of love. I, for one here, friend, I'm so glad that he chose the way of love. Because I have so often chose the way of hurtfulness, of wanting to get back, anger, and even at times, hatred. But he chose a different way. And it was a way of love. The Bible says this, For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's read verse 17 together, because it's worthy of it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Billy Graham would often, at his crusades, would often use a line, and he would repeat it three, ter- three times. He would say, God has a message for you today. And the message is, I love you. I love you. I love you. I read it recently. I was so impacted, moved, as I read those words, because I just felt like it was God again coming to me and saying, Christian, I love you. I love you. I love you. If we do not get impacted by his love, that I would encourage us over this time to just take the time to spend with Jesus. Because as we spend time with Jesus, and as we spend time with the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now something more significant took place, not just God revealing his love, but also he opened up the way for us to express love. There's an old proverb that goes like this. I wonder if we've got it on the screen Love doesn't smooth the road, but puts springs in the wagon. How many of you ever prayed prayers like this? Oh God, just help me to just love them and just make it all smooth and just all kind and fine and nice and dandy. You've prayed prayers like that, I guess many of you, because I certainly have. But what God does and what love does, he doesn't smooth the road but he put springs in the wagon. Has anybody been over a rocky road where there's been no springs in the car? I remember my first trip to Yugoslavia, Romania, and Hungary, and we traveled in a um, uh, Lancia Delta. Can you remember those? Really boxy. And uh, Paul Pasula, who was the missionary, took us round. There was Stan Hyde, there was George Ridley, and there was myself, and there was Pow. All of us were fairly big guys, Boxed into this thing, and literally there was no suspension in this car. My stomach was everywhere anyway, because for whatever reason, I didn't feel right. Well, you can imagine, you're just feeling every kind of bump. I mean, it was just a terrible, terrible journey. And this can often be what it's like in our lives if there's no love. Because love doesn't smooth the road, but it puts springs in the wagon. And we need springs in the wagon of our life. Because the road that we travel is bumpy, uncomfortable. It's neither clean, nor tidy, nor easy. And it's a very open road to misunderstanding. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Give me a wave. Yeah, it's just a reality. It's not an easy road. It's not an easy road as, as that we try and travel. And so we need love and more love. In our lives. As I close, I just want to give us three things.
that I believe that God is wanting to just say to us at this particular time. And as a challenge to us as we enter Christmas. But before I do that, Martin Luther King, the civil rights leader, that we don't need to go into about him, but just a major, you know, teenagers, if you have no idea who I'm on about, you need to just do a Google search, Martin Luther King, and just get it. What an incredible man. And he said this, said, said love must be our regulating ideal. Once again, we must hear the words of Jesus echoing across the centuries. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. I need to just say that again. Because they're so difficult to get a handle on them. These weren't Martin Luther King's words. These were Jesus' words. And they're echoing over the centuries. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them that despitefully use you. Three things that I believe that God is wanting to say to us at this time. Because God revealed his love. But he has now opened up a new way for us. And it's a way of love. And there are three things that I believe we should do. Number one, love those who are different to us. These are very basic. And yet we don't do them. Because we still carry prejudice in our hearts towards all kinds of things and people and cultures. And yet Jesus would come to us and he would say to us, I'm asking you, if you are in me, then you have my love. And my love needs to express to those who are different to you. The classic ones are race. But what about class? We say we live in a classless society. Not quite sure, actually. Not quite sure, because I think there's some people who still feel they're better than others. And I, for one, and God, may, may he ever deal with me if I ever feel that I'm better than somebody else because I have a car and I have a house and I have seemingly got it all together or I dress a certain way. May God deal with me and may God deal with us. Because there are people who are different to us. What about those who have an age? It's no good saying there's an ageism from young people to old people. I've seen a lot of old people be very, very rude to young people. I'm sorry, I have to just say it. The rudest people that I've seen with young people serving, I've seen, and and I observe, I go into shops, I watch sales assistants, young sales assistants, I watch young people serving meals. And I often hear of older people being incredibly rude to those young people who frankly are just trying to do the job. In the same way, young people, may we never be dismissive of those who are older than us or those who don't look like us or we say, well, they're not cool because they're now over the age of 30. And that puts me not cool. I'm serious and we we say we laugh in a church that's multi-generational. I'm just trying to set a bar because Jesus would come to us and would say to us, love those who are different to us, of age, of culture, of race, of gender. Thank God that we don't live in a society where women are pushed down and oppressed. And I want to say in Arena Church, we love the women of our church. We're very thankful for the women of our church, and we value their contribution and their leadership that they bring to the life of this church. Thank God we do not live in that kind of culture. But equally... What about, and I'm not going to open this one up, the area of sexuality. 
We need to be people that love people, all kinds of people that are different to us. Yes, there is a standard, and please don't misinterpret my words, because I absolutely, I'm absolutely rock solid on what the Bible teaches about all of those things. But I, for one, want to be a person that reaches out in love and not hate to people who are different to me. Can I hear an amen in this house? The second thing is love those who hurt and hate us. I had to step into this when I started leadership because I literally thought everybody loved me. And then I quickly realized that not everybody did. And I've gone through my 20-some year journey of ministry now because that's how long I've been in ministry. And I've realized, actually, that has just intensified, not lessened. There are people who don't like me. There are people who want to pull me down. There are people who want to criticize me. There are people who want to say all kinds of things about me. I'm not personalizing, and there are people who are doing that about you. My natural inclination is to give them one back. In the flesh, it's to just get one back in. I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll be patient, but I'll get one in. And yet Jesus says to me, Christian, that is not my way. My way is a different way. It's not a way of hate, it's not a way of anger, it's not a way of bitterness, it's a way of love. And Jesus says, love those who hurt and hate us. Your enemies. And then the third thing is this. Love those who mock and scorn us for our life and our message. Thankfully, well not thankfully, it's just my, and it is a privileged position. Those who work on the team and on the staff, and particularly Phil and I, never take, take it for granted. We recognize that many of you are walking into contexts on a Monday morning where people are not happy that you've been in church. All they want to do is take the rip out of you. But it's not nice, because some of it's quite nasty. And they want to say bad things to you, yeah? And you say anything about Jesus, and they'll be down, jumping down you. We recognize that. I'm not in that context here because of what I do. And I count it a privilege. But I want to say, what about those people who mock our life and our message? They have nothing good to say about where you are today. They have nothing good to say about your life. Even though they can see your life has turned around, they have nothing good to say about you. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to answer back? Are we going to stick one in? Or are we going to love those who mock and scorn us for our life and our message? I was impacted by the words of Jesus when he was asked to give an account before Pilate. And it talks in the Bible how he said nothing. Do Do you not think Jesus... The wisdom, the fountain of all wisdom, could have said something to them that would have knocked them into oblivion. Yet they said nothing. Those who were mocking him, those who were spitting at him, those who were abusing him, he just loved them. Even the criminal who was on the cross, there were two, one who accepted him, but there was still a criminal on there who was abusing him. Yet his love was towards that person. What I'm trying to do is just drive it right down at this Christmas time because for some people Christmas is not a happy occasion because of what has happened. There's family fractions, there's separation, there's hardship, 
And I recognize some of you may have tried to resolve some of those things and it hasn't come to pass. I'd encourage you today to just keep reaching out in love and to trust God with that situation. For those people who have nothing but horrible things to say about you, I'd encourage you today to reach out in love. For those who are different to you and to me, to reach out in love. I love the words of of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter where it talks about um, the love chapter. And it's just as he goes through all the things and he says, love never fails. Love never fails. I wonder if the musicians would come and join me on the platform because as I just bring my application to a close because I'm a pastor who talks about making the message stick this morning. So how do we make the message stick today with what you've heard? Well, first of all, I want to address those people who are Christians. You belong to this church. You recognize that you've got a long way to go in this whole area. Because I want to tell you, that's where I feel. Because there's still things that pop up in me. I get angry. Not as quick as I used to, but I still get angry. And I'm not just talking about righteous anger. I'm talking about anger. And yet the Bible says that if you know me, you know love. I want to encourage the community of faith here today. Just give me your attention. Because what I want to encourage you to do is spend time with Jesus over this lead up to Christmas and beyond. Because it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And if we're spending time in his presence, then that fruit will develop from our lives. And it won't just touch those people who are lovely. It will touch the categories that I've spoken about. We can express his love in a variety of ways. How about showing kindness to somebody this week? How about paying for lunch as you go out with them? How about making coffee? You bosses, you've got difficult workers. You never make a cup of tea because that's their job. Why don't you express? They might all fall over the desks or fall on the factory floor because you've done it. But why don't you just pick up the kettle and go and make a cup of tea? It will just express something, a practical thing of his kindness and of his love. Here's a good one. What about a lingering hello? Instead of like you do, like I can often do, hi, and you move on, how about linger for a moment and find out how that person is actually doing? That will show some love and some kindness to the world in which we live. These are some practical things that you can do to make the message stick. Of course, you can disregard everything I've said and just move on with your life. But I want to tell you the better way is the way of love. It's the way of love. It's love that will change this world, not words, love. You're here today and you're on a bit of a journey and you're wondering how on earth you got to the point of where you're at now because you may feel like you're in a mess. You may feel like you're in a pit. You may feel like you're blocked into a corner. Or the illustration may be you may feel like you're at a crossroads. And you're here on purpose because God's love and his message of love is seeking to reach you out. It's not about just his kindness and something woolly. It's something about gritty and determined. I want to tell you, if you follow this way, it's going to take great determination and great strength. Because of what others will say about you. I wonder if we bow our heads.